Hey, and welcome to the Boss Up Podcast, episode 347. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today I'm so delighted to introduce you to my guest who's here to chat all about the art of navigating life's big transition. Now, obviously, we're all in the midst of a massive global transition right now, as we are still very much in the midst of this global pandemic that has changed just about everything. And many of you are also navigating a variety of career transitions. That's why you're part of the Bossed Up community. Maybe you're looking for a new job. Maybe you're considering another industry. Maybe life has just pulled the rug out from under you and you find yourself wondering, how am I going to recover from this and where do I go from here? Well, I'm delighted to share with you that today's guest, Bruce Feiler, has written a new book all about how to understand and approach building the skills that we all need to navigate life's inevitable pivots, twists, and turns. His new book, Life is in the Transitions, Mastering Change at Any Age, is out in paperback August 10th. And today, Bruce and I are going to talk all about the lessons learned throughout the research and writing process of this book. But first, a little bit of background on Bruce. He's the author of six consecutive New York Times bestsellers, including The Secrets of Happy Families and The Council of Dads. He's the writer and presenter of two primetime series on PBS, and his two TED Talks have been viewed more than two million times. A native of Savannah, Georgia, Bruce lives in Brooklyn with his wife, Linda Rottenberg, and their twin daughters. Bruce, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. I'm so delighted to be speaking with you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am excited to chat with you because I have been thinking a lot about career transition for many years now. And your new book, Life is in the Transitions, Mastering Change at Any Age, comes out August 10th, I believe. And I am so excited to learn more about what inspired this book. What made you write this book? Well, this book in so many ways is about these times in our lives when life seems to overwhelm us. I Mm. I call these life quakes, right? These massive tsunamis of change that when we just sort of feel like life is coming at us from all directions. And um, I wrote about these times in our lives because I was in a life quake myself. So Mm. just to take a half step back and take the spirit of your question there. So I grew up in Georgia and um, I left there and went to Yale. I then went to Japan in the 80s and I started writing letters home. And, you know, this will be, you know, strange to millennials out there, but I wrote (laughs) these letters on crinkly airmail paper, right? There was no internet thing, right? (laughs) And in fact, this airmail paper had no lines. And so that the pad would come with a line and you would stick it under the paper so that the the, the lines didn't, you know, kind of wobble. So I sent these letters home, like, you're not going to believe what happened to me. And when I got back home to Georgia, everyone said, I loved your letters. And I was like, great, have we met? And it (laughs) turned out that my grandmother had Xeroxed them, yet another old-fashioned thing, and passed them around, and they went viral in a sort of, you know, kind of ancient history of that word. And I thought, well, if this is that interesting to all these people, I should write a book about this. And it doesn't happen this way, but I sold my first book at 24, 32 years ago, and I've never held a job since. So in my 20s, I wrote books about Japan and England and... Uh, country music. I spent a year as a circus clown. Uh, in my 
30s, I went back and forth to the Middle East writing books and, and making television. And in the context of the conversation we're about to have, I think of this now as a linear life. Like mm. I figured out what I wanted to do. I did it for no money. I had some success. I got married and had children. But then in my 40s, I was just walloped mm. by life. First, I got mm-hmm. cancer as a new dad of twin daughters. Then I almost went bankrupt in the last recession. And then my dad, who has Parkinson's, got very depressed and tried to take his own life six mm. times in 12 weeks. Wow. Exactly. So this was a crisis in every way that you can imagine. And for a long time, you know, I was a person who thought about how we told stories, but I didn't know how to tell the story. And mm. I didn't and I didn't really want to tell this story. But when I did, what I realized was that everybody has a story about how their life got upended in some way when they didn't know how to tell their story. And and I called my wife one night. I was actually at a college reunion and people were telling me these stories. And I said, I want to do something to help. And what that thing was is I set out on this journey, crisscrossing the country, collecting what became hundreds of life stories of Americans in all 50 states. So as you know, people who lost limbs and lost homes and changed careers and changed genders and got sober and got out of bad marriages. And then I got a team of 12 and I spent a year analyzing these stories, Mm. trying to tease out kind of tips and takeaways and themes and just sort of practical tools that could help all of us in times of change. That's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's very common that I hear from folks who say, I can't tell this story yet because I'm in the middle of living it. Mm. (laughs) And one of the best ways and the most healing ways I've found to navigate my own life quakes, to use your term, has been to write about it myself or to start Mm. a community like Bossed Up to shepherd other folks through similar rocky waters and choppy waters. So what, uh, what was the most surprising thing you learned throughout your conversations with fellow Americans across the country? So I would say that there were three big ideas that I learned. But Mm. before I even get to those three ideas, let me just actually respond to what you just said. Even before, immediately before coming on uh, this um, podcast with you, I was reading a book called Old in Art School, right? So this is sort of the opposite end of many of your listeners about Mm. a uh, black history professor at Princeton who retired at 64 and went back to undergraduate art school. And (laughs) she was talking about this experience of feeling a failure. Like she wasn't qualified. She wasn't good at drawing. She wasn't good at art. She wasn't Mm. young. She didn't understand what was going out there. And she felt so alone. And that feeling as I was just literally thinking about this before I joined this Mm. conversation was that is a feeling that so many people experience, which is the Mm -hmm. feeling of being alone. Right. So like, I almost like the first thing I want to say to, to you and to anybody who feels this way right now is you're not alone. Like, right. And in fact, what's powerful about this moment in time is that the entire planet is going through a life transition at the same time. You know, I, I I worked on this book for half a decade, uh, wandering around my, uh, my, uh, office and home here in Brooklyn saying, why are no one, why is no one talking about transitions? Like everyone's going through transitions. Like why has there not been a major book on this in 40 years? And then lo and behold, this book arrives in the middle of a pandemic when the entire planet is going through a life transition at the same time. So (laughs) kind of the first thing I want to say, it may not be the most surprising thing is that you're not alone. Like we're Mm -hmm. all 
going through this right now, which is, I think, why this book has resonated so deeply. But now, and, and yet, Bruce, you know, when you're navigating the eye of a storm, when it feels like life is happening to you, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're dragged into a life quake, it often does feel, however untrue it might be, it, it does feel very isolating, yes. very acute. So that community building element, you know, my background before Bossed Up is a community organizer and part of social movement work. Um, after studying political science at Brown University, that was my sort of calling right out the gate. And what I realized is that I needed to create the community that I needed at the time and that everyone navigates transition, but so many of us feel like we have to do it alone. And that's certainly not the case, is it? So first of all, bravo to you, right? Bravo bravo to you for embracing change. Bravo to you for, in a time of change, drawing on things that you are naturally good at. Mm. Okay, so for you, maybe it's organizing. Maybe it's bringing people together. For somebody else, maybe it's you know creativity. For somebody else, uh, maybe it's storytelling. For somebody else, maybe you know maybe it's ritual. So I think all one of the things that we do as we get into this conversation is that we do in times of transition that I'm that kind of became a clear pattern is mm. that we we go to. We go, or we, and and, and I guess I would say we should go, and my recommendation is that people (laughs) go to what they're naturally good at, like gravitate toward your superpower. But I I do want to say this, though, as long as we're doing this, you know, kind of sidebar on loneliness and feeling alone, I agree with you that people feel alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was a 43-year-old suffering an adult-onset pediatric cancer that was so rare, Mm. 600 people a year get it. 85% of uh, 85% are under 21. So there's only a hundred adults a year who get this cancer. And I got it as a new dad. And it was like, everything was off kilter. Like I was doing things off schedule, which by the way, turned out to be a huge theme of these conversations is like, I'm doing things at the wrong time, out of order, off of the schedule. It turns out that the schedule is the problem, not what we're doing, but we feel alone. And I think that that a response to that that's mm. very powerful is the kind of community building you're talking about. But I do want to say this. There's a kind of advantage to feeling alone at the same time also, which is oh, that really? a lot of creativity comes from feeling isolated. Mm. Okay. Because when you feel a part of something, you were sort of overwhelmed by the consensus, right? By the popular opinion, by the trends, by the fads, if you will. Mm-hmm. There, if you can get over the danger <laughs> of being alone and the psychological torment of being alone, Mm -hmm. it actually allows you to embrace risk more and to embrace creativity more, which turns out, again, as we get deeper in this conversation, to be one of the tools of a transition. So I want to say, if you felt alone, it's probably one of the things that gave you the courage um, to take this big leap is because I'm already alone. So what's another failure on top of it, so to speak? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to say that there's a benefit of being alone. But let me go back now and try to try to answer the big the question you asked me a few minutes ago, which is, <laughs> what are the big lessons? So I would say there are three big lessons I learned from these thousand hours of conversations that I did. Number one, the linear life is dead. Okay, mm-hmm. so the idea that we're going to have one job, one relationship, you know, one sexuality, one spirituality, one source of happiness from adolescence to assisted living, that by the way, which was the dominant idea Mm -hmm. for most of the last 150 years, that's dead, okay? And that leads to the second big idea, which is that the nonlinear life involves many, many more 
life transition. So my data show that we go through three dozen what I call disruptors in the course of our lives. That's one every 12 to 18 months. Now, these could be as small as twisting your ankle or a fender bender or as big as losing your job or losing a a loved one, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Most of those we get through relatively well. We're actually pretty good at adapting to change, but one in 10 is the big one, right? And often, more often, it's a clump of smaller ones. And that's what a life quake is. And Mm -hmm. so my data show that we go through three to five of these life quakes in the course of our adult lives, their average length is four to five years. So do the math, three to five, four to five years, that's 25 years, that's half of our adult lives we are spending in transition. And Mm. yet, this essentially, no one's teaching us how to do it. I, th- I think of kind of you know, life transition as a lifelong skill that no one's yeah. teaching us how to play. And so that's the third big idea, which is the transitions, as we've been discussing, are a skill that you can master, you should master, you must master in order to be able to navigate all the changes that are going to come in your life. Mm, absolutely. And when it comes to navigating those kinds of massive disruptions or even yep. micro disruptions, <laughs> do you feel like there's a fundamental difference between the change that you bring about, the ones that you find for yourself, the changes uh-huh. you initiate versus the kinds of crises or, or yeah. disruptions that happen to you? First of all, I love that question. Um, A friend of mine asked me uh, in the middle of this if that were true. And so I went digging through the data. And here's what the data show. What the data show is that 53% of our uh, uh, life wakes are uh, involuntary. Mm. Okay. So an involuntary life quake is... um, uh, your spouse cheats on you, okay? Hey, there is a natural disaster. You lose a job. You get a diagnosis. You get. We all get hit by a pandemic. So 53% are, are involuntary. 47% are voluntary, okay? So that's you leave your job, okay? You change your religion. You cheat on your spouse, right. okay? So now what was interesting is, so I was born in, in 1964. So um, that's nominally the tail end of the baby boom even though that's absurd because it's 20 years after the <laughs> war. Um, I had a bunch of millennial coders on my team. And so I looked at these numbers and I was like, dang, 47% of, volu- you know, of lifequakes are voluntary. Like we are embracing you know, the, the uh, opportunities of the nonlinear life. And the millennials on my team looked at this like, whoa, 53% are involuntary. Like we don't control our lives. Like all this planning and you know, all this careful rewriting of my resume. Like I'm not in control of my life. And that I think is a very interesting kind of subtext to this conversation, which is that uh, Xers get mm-hmm. intuitively more than boomers that life is nonlinear and millennials even more than Xers. And now right. I'm a parent of Gen Zers. I think they're going to get it even more. So mm-hmm. there's this very interesting kind of what I call transition gap between 50 plus parents and their, say, you know, 35 minus kids, because the parents are looking at, you know, and this is a lot of the community that you've just so wonderfully built, the the, the kind of 50 plus parents, the Xers and boomers are looking at their millennial kids and saying, whoa, 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 wait, you're having a baby before you get married? Or like, you're leaving one job and you don't know what the next job is going to be, or you're moving to a new town and you don't have any plans to do when you're going to get there. And there's this sort of interesting tension because the millennials like, yeah, I get that I'm going to have 11.7 jobs and 12.3 moves and whatever, you know, all the numbers that I have in my book. Um, But I think that 
that tension exists. Mm, yeah. Cut to the pandemic when we're all doing it at the same time. And I think we're all getting a lesson in, you know, guess what? The non-linear life is here to stay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, adapt or die is what my uh, science teacher t- said in uh, in the context of biology back in in high school. And I took that to heart when it comes to career planning too. It's like, you know, nowadays we are surfing whatever wave is on the horizon. And I think accepting that is a first step to accepting what you said a moment ago, which is that navigating transition is in itself a learnable skill. So let's, let's talk about that. So let's talk about how to navigate transition. You talk about transitions as being broken out into three phases. Tell yes. me about those phases and how we should think about approaching, you know, navigating each phase in perhaps a different way or with different skills. So let's go back. Okay. You're in a life quake. <laughs> Most everybody listening to us now is in a life quake, like, you know, and, and it's going to be half of your life. That means you or someone, you know, is in one right now. It's important to know that though we're all in this collective involuntary life quake right now with the pandemic, Mm. that it will manifest itself differently with each person. So you might be in a personal life quake. Your partner might be in a medical life quake, right? Your neighbor might be or another loved one might be in a professional life quake. So though we're all going through it, it will manifest itself in different ways in different lives depending on where we are. So what happens when you get into a life quake? I, one of two things happens. Either you, there are two types of people. I want to guess which type you are, but let me, let me just say the two parts and you can tell me which part you are. <laughs> sure. The two types of people are, I'm going to make a 217 item to-do list and I'm going to get through it in the weekend and I'm going to get a gold star and a blue ribbon and a, you know, a gold medal because I'm going to knock it out quicker than anybody else. I'm going to be very efficient. <laughs> I got to start now, right? And so you're already out of breath. That's one type of person. The other type of person is, lying in a fetal position under the covers with a cat saying like, I'm never going to get through this. Woe is me. This has never happened to anyone. So, mm. so before we get too deep in this, do you, do you claim, do you claim a tendency there? Uh, in case it's not obvious and I'm sure yes. my listeners could tell. Yeah. I'm definitely putting it in a 17 points exactly. spreadsheet by the time the weekend hits. So okay, yeah. Fine. So here's what that tells me about you. That tells me that of the three phases, <laughs> you like the middle one. So let me explain what I mean. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you look at enough of these and they have a kind of structure. So to begin with, uh, transitions have three phases. The three phases are the long goodbye. Okay. Where you say goodbye to the life that's not coming back. The messy middle, where you shed certain habits and experiment with new ones, and uh, the new beginning, where you update your story and unveil your new self. Now, here's the thing that's important to keep in mind, which is to say, for the first hundred years that people talk about transitions, if I can just geek out on the science Mm. for a second, the idea of transitions was invented or articulated by a German anthropologist named Arnold van Gennep a century ago. This was the guy who invented the phrase rites of passage. Mm. I kind of have an obsession with phrases that we think always existed that somebody invented. And he said that there were phases like this, but he said that, and everybody has said for a century that you must do these in order. Mm -hmm. Okay. This was the linear, what I was calling the linear age where Piaget has stages of childhood development, Freud's psychosexual stages, the eight stages of moral development with Erickson, the five stages of grief. And everybody always said, you must do them in order. That's bunk. It's literally just flat wrong. Mm. 
Mm. And you, we do these in our own idiosyncratic order. It's like a fingerprint. Like life is nonlinear. The transitions <laughs> are nonlinear. And so this echoes what we were talking about a few minutes ago when I was saying everybody has a superpower. Like right. everybody is good at one of these phases and they're bad at another. So if I can pick on you for a second, um, sure. you're good at, you said at the 17 or 217 item to-do list, the spreadsheet, mm -hmm. that suggests to me that you're good at the messy middle. You like planning, right? You like mapping out. You probably mm -hmm. like calling multiple friends and seeking advice. You, you, you like the messy middle because then you want to move toward the new beginning. You are a new beginninger. You started right. something new. <laughs> but that suggests to me, if I might, that perhaps you're less good at the long goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, okay, because the long goodbye is accepting that a transition is an emotional experience. Okay, right. and that involves taking a second, ex ex accepting that you're worried or scared or afraid or full of shame or fear or sadness or anger, and doing something to mark that. So I'm all for figure out your superpower, your superpower, mm. and start there. But don't forget that it will be most successful if you do all three of the phases. So just a bit on the emotion here. So the first phase, I looked hundreds of people in the eye and I said, what's the biggest emotion that you struggled with in your time of change? Okay. Number one answer, fear. Mm. How am I going to get through this? Am I going to fail? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to live without that person? How am I going to walk without my legs? The number two answer was sadness, right? That is the grief. Oh my gosh. I missed this person. I liked my old job, right? I liked uh, living with that person before the relationship ended. But the and there were there were headlines actually to jump in here yeah. about how the pandemic left us feeling this weird state of widespread amorphous grief that we didn't really have a name for for a long time because we were mourning the year we thought we were going to have back in 2020. So I think that's that's a really insightful lesson is like grief needs to be, you know, called out as such to be processed. And that's that that's the next step in this process. So I'll just say the third one quickly, which is shame, which surprised me a little. Like hmm. I'm ashamed of what I did when I was drinking too much, or I'm ashamed mm. that I need to ask for money, or I'm ashamed that I don't have a job, or I'm ashamed I have a child uh, with an anxiety disorder, or I'm feeling, you know, stressed or or you know, kind of a bout of a mental health worry uh, in some ways myself. And so people have these emotions. And the key is the first step in this is just to accept it, right. to identify it to yourself and say it out loud, because that's an incredibly powerful. But now what? And that leads to what you just said, because of mm -hmm. course you anticipated this, which is what do people do with these emotions? Okay. <laughs> right. Some people write them down. Like I talked to a woman who left a job in corporate corporate America and moved to Maine to start a home a business managing second homes, and she like wrote down her goals and her feelings. So every morning she would look at that. So some mm. people write them down. Some people do what I do, which is buckle down, like go to work, you know, stop whining and like throw yourself into it. Mm. But eighty percent, eight zero, use rituals. Mm. Mm hmm. They host parties, they sing songs, they take walks, they go to a certain place, you know, they go to a sweat lodge. I talked to a woman, Lisa Ray Rosenberg, had an awful year. She went on 52 first dates. She actually made a spreadsheet of everything she <laughs> wore on the first date because she only went on six second dates and she didn't want to replicate what she wore. She had a falling out with her mother. She was a, she was a, um, a bone marrow donor to her brother. And she's like, this is just too much. 
Her biggest fear was heights. So she jumped out of a plane. Wow. If I can overcome this, I can overcome anything. A year later, she was married with a child. So people use rituals. And that's, again, a lesson that we were reminded Mm. in the pandemic, which was we had all this mourning and sadness and grief, but we didn't do anything with it for a long time. There was no... um, there was no public mourning. Right. There was no collect. We couldn't gather together to your point about community. Yeah. And so the two steps of the long goodbye are accepting that it's emotional and mm-hmm. then doing something. Um, and there's a distinction actually that and kind of a technical distinction that seems worth mentioning here, which is the grief is the feeling and mourning is what we do with the feeling. Mm, right. To sort of close the loop almost, or at least begin the process of moving through those big emotions, right? So a lot of this, if you remember when the when the pandemic first hit, we all thought, we were, oh, we'll stay inside, we'll mitigate, and we'll go back. Right, I think right. We, we have been in a crisis in this country of the long goodbye, and where we never really said goodbye. And I think that what you see now, you know, that we're a year in when we're taping this conversation, the pandemic, what is happening? The great resignation, people are quitting their jobs. The great reopening, how are we going to go back? The great migration where people are moving in. This is the transition part kicking in after the collective uh, long goodbye crisis that we've been in for the last year. Interesting. And so what are the tools that we need to navigate this stage? So this, I think, is market, right? So first, accept it. And then second market, like do Mm. something ritualistic to market. And I think that that is, and what the ritual is, is a way to your, say to yourself and back to your community and those around you, I'm going through a difficult time. Mm. I'm a little unsure, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying it out loud. I'm putting a line in the sand and that will make me, um, be more ready for what comes next, which is a beautiful thing, which is the messy middle, which is both shedding habits and astonishing acts uh, of creativity. Absolutely. I think of the messy middle as the experimental phase, right? The iterative process, the learning through trial and error. (laughs) If you're willing to let yourself really look at those failures uh, on the road to success as, as gems of learning that they can be. So in the context of career change in particular, I wonder how, how you would counsel folks to think about not just surviving, but really thriving through the messy middle. So I think that, um, so let me just, first of all, define the messy middle, and then we can talk about this. So it is exactly what you just said. Um, Part of it, the second half of it, I would say, is the creativity, the experimentation, is the end, the trial and error. The first half of it, though, is also important, and that's the shedding. So it's shedding habits, patterns, ways of living, um, it could be shedding, you know, attachment to an office. It could be shedding a title. It could be shedding money for a while, taking a step back financially in order to take a leap forward in meaning and ultimately in money. So I think that the shedding, mm. I would say, take something, some of the, the shedding we're forced to shed, like we have to shed someone we live with, or we have to shed a job title if we yeah. lost the job, or have to shed our reliance on a regular salary if we're going through a period where we're in we're in transition. But the, there is also an opportunity in shedding, which is to shed something about you that you didn't like, 
right? Maybe you were a people pleaser, right? Maybe mm. you stuck around your last job too long, you know, trying to make the boss like you before you realized it wasn't going to work. Maybe you had a job um, that you did perhaps um, as someone who's talked to a lot of people to satisfy your parents' expectations <laughs> of you, right? Maybe you were a little bit on what I call the should train. Like I should be doing this because this is a responsible career. And you're realizing now that life is too short and you want to do something uh, that's closer to what you want. So two habits, uh, uh, shedding and experimenting. And now I cannot believe I'm going to do this, but I'm going to answer your question <laughs> with, with material that I have not published because I have spent the last six months um, talking to people about how they navigate career changes for a new book that I'm going to start writing this fall. Nice. And so I'm going to give you a sneak peek. Um, if you promise to invite me back when the actual book I comes out. I would love so, that. Okay. But so here's, here's, I would say, a big idea for people who are going through this now, because I want to keep it, want to keep it quiet. I mentioned what I call the should train, right? The should mm. train is the ghost of linearity that we all have within us. Okay. Mm. You should be having this kind of job, making this kind of income by a certain age. You should be in this kind of relationship. You should be in this kind of home. The should train is very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. And one thing I didn't realize until I started to talk to people more in depth about these career changes is that the should train says, go higher, get bigger, you know. More. More. <laughs> yeah. I, Rags to riches, up by your bootstraps, right? Bigger office, higher salary, high, you know, higher floor, grander view. But it turns out that in the kind of the defining moments of these life transitions, and this came through so powerfully um, in the work that is in the book we're talking about right now, Life is in the Transitions, but the is that we don't climb, we dig. We go back into ourselves and realizes that we have a story that we are trying to tell. And mm. that story is where the happiness lies. The happiness lies inside of us. It is not in these external uh, manifestations of the job. And right. so the question that I would encourage people in the middle of one of these transitions now is to ask is what is your particular formula for success, okay? Right. And the best way I can describe this is I talk in um, a big theme that emerge, has emerged in these years of talking to people is that we have three primary building blocks that give us identity, okay? I call these the ABCs of meaning. Mm. The A is agency, what we do, what we make, what we create, what we build, okay? Our ability to impact the world. The B is here we go, belonging, our relationships, our neighbors, our community, our loved ones, you know, our co-religionists, our you know, the fellow teammates on a sports team. So the B is belonging. And the C is a cause, mm. a calling, a purpose, something higher than ourselves. So in narrative terms, I think of these as, the, um, uh, as your me story, mm -hmm. your we story, and your the story. Okay? And all this is laid out in, in Life is in the Transitions, as you know. So what happens in a transition is that we rejigger the balance. Okay, so think of these ABCs of meaning as, as like Lady Justice, but not with two dishes, but with three right, dishes. Right. Okay, so maybe what's happened in your life is that the pebbles have become 
overly weighted in one dish. Maybe you've been mm. working too hard and neglecting your community, right? Or maybe you've been giving back and you're burned out and you want mm. to um, do something for yourself, right? Or maybe, you know, you've been caring for a child or an aging relative and you want to you know, focus more on the community. So what happens, I call this shape-shifting in the transition. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you talk to people about transitions, a transition is a pause, right? It's a breach in the normal that gives us a chance to rethink what's important to us. So I would say to you, sit down and try to identify, like, what is your percentage of ABCs? Which, like, I'm an ABC because mm. I'm a writer, I'm a builder, I make things belonging. I'm a very involved family member, a super involved dad, and cause is actually less important to me. So I'm an ABC. My wife, Linda, who works with entrepreneurs around the world, she, she's a cause first. She gives and gives and gives, right? She's a co-founder and a CEO of an organization called Endeavor. So she's very agentic. Belonging, mm. like she tolerates the rest of us. So right, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an ABC, she's a CAB. And so let me just ask you. So let me go back to mm. before you, you left your last work. What was your order of ABCs? I think it was probably C... A, B, before. Bingo. Yeah. Cause first, agency next, belonging was last, dead last, because I felt very isolated. Okay. And what are you now? And now I am definitely an A, C, B. Agency above all. <laughs> C being, uh, or sorry, belonging comes yeah. second for me. Yeah, very involved yeah, community. Say, yeah, yeah. 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 I think you're A, B, C. That makes much oh, more yeah. sense to me. Yeah. A, B, C. Yep, 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 yep. So that's a classic life transition. What you did- without, you know, using the intentionality that I'm shortchanging and trying to shortcut people to doing now yeah. is you did a shape shift. You reevaluated and realized that you were, you were out of whack to what mm. you want to do. So right. to me, so the advice I'm giving people is just sit down and literally say, what is your ABCs now? In an ideal world, what do you want them to be? And can, is it a career change that can manifest right. that? Is it a relationship change that can manifest that? Do you want to do more giving back in the community uh, right. that can manifest that? Tutoring, helping, mentoring, whatever it might be. And so uh, joining an organization. So it's the simple act of the shape-shifting because what I'm, the, the thing I know for sure is that if you don't know who you are, what story you want to be telling, mm-hmm. you will chase new jobs and you will leave new jobs and you will be unsatisfied and you will not do anything with the fundamental dissatisfaction unless yeah. you label it and then do something to to rebalance that. Yeah, and I think what your book does a good job of demonstrating is that this is a skill we can learn over time, mm-hmm. right? And that it does not there isn't, you know, obviously having a playbook now like yours is a real cheat code uh, in a wonderful way, but it is not often something that's talked about and mapped out. And, you know, we really owe it to ourselves to take the time to think these transitions through and pay attention to how we're feeling throughout them so we can navigate what will work for us in that moment. Right. I, I, yeah, go ahead, Bruce. Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. And yes, I, this is a soft skill yeah. that there is hard. My wife likes to say, you have hard knowledge about soft things. <laughs> what, what I've tried to do is come up with hard knowledge about soft yeah. things. Like, this is a, a soft skill, meaning it's not talked about a lot. You don't put it on your resume, right? You right. know, It's not something you boast about. We don't get taught it in school. Like this is a problem to me. We should be teaching transition management in Absolutely. college. Um, but 
it's an essential. It, and if anything, I would say maybe the most urgent life skill we have, mm-hmm. we all need right now because we're all going through this transition and we can stumble our way through sure. because the fundamental way to look at it is, is that the life quake gets us stuck and the life transition gets us unstuck, right? Mm. The life quake puts us on our heels and the transition puts us on our toes. You're going to go through it, whether you right. name it <laughs> and try to get better at it. Right. And that's what I'm trying to do is give you the tools to make it more efficient, more effective. Um, and I'm convinced, and now I've seen it with the response to this um, book, it, the, the, the answers are there. We can get through this together yeah. if we just identify it as an important thing that we're going through. I love that. Well said, Bruce. Clearly, I could talk with you all day about this, but I do have to let you go. Where can my listeners keep up with you and get their hands on a copy of Life is in the Transitions? So Life is in the Transitions is uh, out now in uh, paperback, and you can get it wherever your books are sold from online or independent booksellers. I'm on all the social medias at Bruce Feiler. That's B-R-U-C-E-F-E-I-L-E-R. Two more kind of fun things is I have a new TED Talk called Uh, Need a Fresh Start, How to Master a Life Transition that's just been released. So you can see that on TED.com. And I, because of the moment that we're in, I am starting a new newsletter. So I newsletter about this three days a week at brucefiler.bulletin.com. And uh, we're all in this moment. Let's get through it together um, because as you have learned far more than I, it is much easier and much more effective if you go through it with a group of other people. I love it. We'll drop links to all those great resources in today's show notes. Thank you again, Bruce, for being here. My pleasure. To see a whole bunch of links and additional resources related to what Bruce and I talked about on today's episode, head to bostup.org slash episode 347. That's bossedup.org slash episode 347. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. I want to celebrate Julie, a recent alum of the Bossed Up Hired Job Search Accelerator, who successfully landed a new role after changing industries and moving halfway across the country uh, to her new home city of Portland. Now, she enrolled in Hired six months before she wanted to make this big move, and she was simultaneously determined to pivot industries as she was changing cities. She was looking to break into instructional design from customer success. Now, Julie had been growing her skills in instructional design for years, but there was one thing she was missing, a strong network. So during the hired program and all the coaching calls you get with your weekly cohort meetings, as well as one-on-one coaching that Julie got with her hired job search coach, Jacqueline, Julie worked hard to redefine networking to make it feel a little less intimidating, a little less icky, and really build a strategy to leverage LinkedIn so that she could make new connections. Before she knew it, she had a pretty large network in her new industry, and it first yielded her a remote contract position and eventually a full-time job as an instructional designer. Beyond being excited about her new role, she's also a total networking convert and doesn't plan to stop meeting and learning from folks in her industry anytime soon. Congrats, Julie. We are all so proud of you here at Bossed Up. Keep it up. Now, if you are looking to make a big career transition, make sure you're leveraging LinkedIn as well. We've got some great episodes about how to do just that that I'll link to in today's show notes. And if we can be of support to you here at Bossed Up, check out the Hired Job Search Accelerator to see if it's right for you. You can go to bossedup.org slash get hired to learn more. And now, boss, I want to hear from you. What did you think about our conversation today? 
How have you navigated life or career transitions in the past? And what are the tools are you looking to develop now as you further your career and life and life after, question mark, this pandemic? I hope we're starting to head in that direction at least. I'm obviously on the precipice of a big life transition myself. In case you haven't heard, I'm really less less than a month and a half away from my due date at this point, which is crazy. I'm due at the end of September. Uh, and, and we've been talking quite a bit on this podcast about navigating the transition into parenthood uh, as a professional, especially as a working parent-to-be. Uh, and so I'm, I'm thinking a lot about transition and identity and how we level up from here. I'd love to hear any and all advice you have for me or for other folks who find themselves either bringing themselves to the precipice of change or on the brink of change that wasn't exactly welcome. As always, let's continue this conversation in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. And I hope you'll keep in touch with me directly on social media. Follow me at Emily Aries on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb.